Taking your Bibles, turn to Titus 3. In Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, we find this morning's scripture reading. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we are, are already so greatly blessed to hear the things of your kingdom and the gifts of our king given to children who themselves have nothing to offer him by way of good works. It is a testimony to the gospel of your sovereign grace that you give when we are not even asking. And this is what opens the heart to the greatness and generous gospel of your son. Father, we thank you also that we are now upon the occasion of hearing your word again read publicly. It is a testimony to us that you have not forsaken this place, that we are not under your judgment, that we are under your grace, that even here in Nina, Wisconsin, we can gather and hear the word of God and the ministry of its public reading and preaching. Father, we do pray that you would grant your blessing to it. May your Holy Spirit attend to our hearing of it, giving us good ears, giving us a good heart. Oh, Lord, make us good so that the word, which is always good, will take root in us. Lord, unless you help us, we cannot help ourselves. The smartest among us have no ability to receive the things of God apart from your Holy Spirit. Oh, come and help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Titus chapter 3, <clears throat> verses 1 through 7. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. This is God's word. <clears throat> Three different times, not one, not two, but three different times in a very short space of words, the Westminster Confession of Faith of 1647 AD, 
points to the words of Titus 3.5 to explain Christian baptism. Would you? Are you and I wiser, more learned, more godly than the 151 men gathered by the English Parliament to the Westminster Abbey to work out the Westminster Confession of Faith? Three different times, they use Titus 3.5 as a proof text to explain Christian baptism. Now, as you can see, the word baptism does not even appear in Titus 3.5. Why then did this verse capture the attention of our fathers in the faith? Why did they see baptism here when the word isn't even here? What captured their attention, of course, was Paul's expression, by the washing of regeneration. The word for washing in both the Old and New Testaments almost always involves the presence and the application of water. We wash something with water because it is dirty, and because we know the proper use of it requires it be made clean. Christian baptism is like that. Christian baptism involves putting water on someone who is dirty. But the dirt Christian baptism cleans away is not dirt you can see with your eye. It is not dirt on the body. It is dirt on the soul. It is dirt inside the human heart. It is the dirt of original sin, the dirt of a primal wickedness, of depravity. It is a pollution that will control body and mind from the inside out, keeping all souls ever born enemies of God if this dirt is not washed away. Now, if you are thinking, a little water is not going to clean this up, Pastor, you are right. And we will come to that. But how dare we turn our eyes away from our apostle? He knows better than we do. We are his students. We are not his masters. Let us understand for now, baptism is a washing because there is a terrible dirt within us that needs to be washed away if we are going to be clean before God and clean in our dealings with men. Now, when Paul became a Christian in Damascus, a man named Ananias said to him, Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Acts 22, verse 16. Ananias knew the waters of baptism are connected in some way to cleansing away sin. He also knew that a cleansing of sin in the soul required faith in Jesus Christ, not just baptism. He said to Paul, call on his name. Only the Savior, Jesus Christ, only the Savior can give to a sinner that which is signified by the waters of baptism, a new heart cleansed of sin. But let us understand, baptism 
remains a practice in the church of Jesus Christ until the end of the age to testify to all that we are born in sin and corruption and therefore subject to condemnation and can only be made new and clean and holy by Jesus Christ washing us. Jesus never wants the testimony of baptism to stop because it tells us what great need we have and it tells us who the only remedy is. Now in Titus 3, verse 3, Paul shows us how unclean, how filthy, how polluted we once were due to original sin. Verse 3, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. What a dreadful description of cold, unloving, arrogant selfishness. Now, you might be thinking right now, Pastor, that's not what I once was. That's who I am right now. Well, you're in the right place then. The Lord has put you here to show you the power of the word of God, that it has just exposed you to yourself. Continue to listen. There's a blessing for you. But that is a dreadful description, isn't it? Cold, unloving, arrogant, self-engrossed selfishness. But this is what we all are by nature. In Psalm 51.5, David said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David is saying that even as an infant, still in his mother's womb, he was impure, he was perverse, he was wicked, he was of a vicious nature. Even upon the moment of his conception, the whole race of men is fallen because of one man's disobedience. By nature, we are children of wrath, Ephesians 2 says, needing to be deeply cleansed on the inside and made new is our great need. Your baptism reminds you that you once were a dreadful, vicious nature. And the only God there is has come to help you. Your baptism is a witness standing upon your conscience for the rest of your life, testifying to you that he who made baptism an ordinance in the church until the end of the age is your only help. He will clean you. He has cleaned you. Martin Luther would write in chalk on his desktop, I am baptized. I am baptized. And he would write it not as the first thing that he did when he got to his desk. He would write it as he went through the day and started thinking terrible, filthy thoughts about magistrates, about Catholic doctors of the church, about himself. He would stop and write, I am baptized not in any way to diminish the ministry of Jesus Christ, but to exalt it. 
just as the apostles do over and over again, speak of your baptism to you. It's a simple reminder in the history of the believer, the history of Martin Luther's own life and yours, that God has come to you through his church and has testified to you with a sign that he has cleansed you by the Spirit of God and the blood of Christ. Only God has washed you on the inside. Through his spirit, he has applied the cleansing blood of Jesus, his son, to your once deeply polluted heart. He has kept his promise to you from Ezekiel 36, beginning at verse 22. It says there that he has sprinkled clean water on you. He has made you clean from all your uncleanness. He has given you a new heart. He has put a new spirit within you. He now causes you to walk in his statutes and obey his rules. Your baptism testifies to you (coughs) that all these gifts are now yours in Jesus Christ. So it is not the waters of baptism that do the deep washing that needs to be done? In baptism, the water is on the surface of the body, right? Of course, baptism does something, or else God would not require it. What it does is it signifies. It is a sign, a visible sign. The visible water signifies the deep, invisible work of the Holy Spirit who washes and purifies and cleanses our souls of all filth and unrighteousness. Notice again Paul's words in Titus 3.5. He says, The mercy of our Savior came to us by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Then in verse 6 he adds, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. There we have another word, another water word, poured out. The waters of baptism signify that the Spirit of God has been poured into us, cleansing the inner man by taking what belongs to Jesus Christ and bringing it in power to us, inside of us. Well, what is it that belongs to Christ, that the Spirit applies to us? The precious blood of Christ. 1 John 1.7 says, The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. It's another water word. Also speaking of Christ's cleansing blood, the writer of Hebrews says, Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Hebrews 10.22. The Spirit of God cleanses us once and for all by applying the blood of Christ to our souls. This is the washing of regeneration. And it is signified to you by your baptism. Well, what then is this thing called regeneration? Regeneration is a supernatural act of God, whereby those dead in sin are made alive. That's a short definition. Let's unpack it a little bit. In regeneration, divine life is infused into the elect person. By the merits of Jesus Christ, God implants 
the incorruptible seed of his word and takes a soul once dead and barren and makes that soul alive and fruitful in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's regeneration. Ephesians 2.4 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. That is regeneration. Your King James Bible might say, quickened us. That is regeneration. Divine life being given by supernatural act to those dead in sin. It is a merciful act of God against the fallen, polluted, corrupt nature of man. It is an act performed by God alone. (coughs) That's why we call it a monergistic act, the act of one, the work of one. Man does not cooperate in his regeneration. Indeed, man cannot cooperate. He is dead in his trespasses. What can the dead do to prepare themselves for life? No more than a child can do to will that he or she be conceived. New life in Christ is by the Spirit of God. It is both irresistible and irrevocable. In John 5.21, our Lord Jesus says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. That is regeneration. In the act of regeneration, Jesus does not draw out of man something that was always lying within man, dormant, waiting to reach its potential. No. Regeneration puts life, the divine life within each elect soul who were spiritually dead. And this life, which comes from outside of man, is Christ's own eternal life. The late John Gill, one of, one of my favorite dead Baptist theologians, speaking of regeneration and of Christ, said this, He, Jesus, is the matter of it. It is not so much the quickened persons that live as Christ that lives in them. And it is the same life he himself lives. And because he lives, they shall live also. It is in him as in the fountain and in them as in the stream. Beloved, this regeneration, which we have called the new birth in other contexts, or being born again in other contexts, this regeneration is what is signified to you in your baptism. The theologians of the Westminster Assembly knew it. The Apostle Paul knew it. We should know it. Among other things, our baptism with water in the Christian church signifies the regeneration that is only wrought by God himself through the Spirit when the Spirit applies to the soul of man the blood of Jesus Christ. Does that mean that everyone who has ever been baptized with Christian baptism has experienced regeneration? The answer must be no. 
Let us remember what Peter said about the Gentiles he had baptized at Cornelius' house. In Acts 15.9, Peter says, God has given them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Faith is evidence that the work of regeneration has come to the soul. Where there is baptism, but no faith, there is no regeneration. Baptism is the sign that regeneration is a gift of God given freely to each and every elect child of God. And each of those elect children of God will come to believe that what has been signified to them in their baptism has been given to them through their Savior. Every elect child of God who has been baptized will one day stand on heaven's shore and say, I have what my baptism gave to me. The regenerating power of the life of Jesus in me. And it will not be taken from me. Now, two points of application. Well, maybe three points. We are the church of the bonus point. That's our subtag. The bonus point first. Do not, I urge you, think differently than the Apostle Paul and the Westminster Divines about Titus 3.5. Now, don't think like them without thinking. You must work this out. You must study. You must wrestle with the word of God. Titus 3.5 is about your baptism. That's why it is called the washing of regeneration. Agree with them. The Apostle Paul says agree with one another. That's point number one. Number two, those made clean by baptism and faith in Christ are to draw near to God. We have been made clean, not so that we can now live away from God, but so that we can come to God again and again unrelentingly in his presence. That's where those made clean belong. The first appearance of washing of this kind is in the book of Exodus. Aaron and his sons were to be washed by Moses before they would enter the tent of meeting where God dwelt in his holy presence. They were sinful men. That water didn't, isn't what made them clean by itself. No, their faith believing that what was signified in that water was given to them freely is what made them clean. And they went into the tent of meeting. How much more now that our great high priest, Jesus Christ, has come and has made us clean by his blood, are we to approach God so much more now that Peter, in his first letter, calls us a holy priesthood. The whole church, the whole believing church, is a holy priesthood because we all are clean, sprinkled of a guilty conscience, clean in Christ. Use it. Improve your baptism by running into the presence of God again and again, especially 
when you sin, especially when you sin. Because your cleanliness is in Jesus Christ. The power of repentance is seeing that you are clean in Christ and that you can go right again to the throne of grace. Application point number three. Those made clean by baptism are not only to draw near to God, to receive from God, but draw near to their neighbor to give. Notice what Paul does here in chapter three of Titus. What he says in the first and second verse are really the fruits of those who have been regenerated, those who have been made clean through Jesus Christ as signified to them in their baptism. Here's what they should now be able to do because they are clean. They should go into the world and not make the world dirtier because of their contact with it because they are the clean. They've been washed by the regenerating spirit of God. So remind them to be submissive to rulers, verse 1, and authorities to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Everything in those two verses actually is going to come from Paul's great summit point in verse 5. Because you have been washed and renewed you can live a very fruitful life. And so he says in verse 8, be careful to devote themselves to good works. Verse 14, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. These are the reasonable expectations of those washed with the washing of regeneration. So, for example, you have a girlfriend. Every day you spend with her, every phone call you have with her, because you have been baptized in Jesus Christ, you return her to her family clean, not dirty. You return her to her silence in her room after that phone call, clean, not dirty. The baptized are clean in the world. You leave the TV off at night, and you are clean because you're the baptized. You do not become filthy. Beloved, this is the practical life for all who have experienced the washing of regeneration. If we are cleaned in Christ by the power of God, (coughs) why would we want to go make someone else dirty? Don't dirty your relationships with a quarrel. Don't dirty your relationships with even the rulers of the state by disobedience. All of this flows out of our being washed. What a strange people that the Lord has created on the earth by washing that old dead man away. It's really hard for me to find a better expression of what the fruitfulness of regeneration looks like for the baptized than what I find in the Canons of Dort, Article 411. The regenerating spirit pervades the inmost recesses of the man. He opens the closed and softens the hardened heart 
and circumcises that which is uncircumcised, infuses new qualities into the will, which through, excuse me, which though heretofore were dead, he quickens. From being evil, disobedient, and refractory, he renders the will good, obedient, and pliable, actuates it and strengthens it, and like a good tree, <coughs> it brings forth the fruits of good actions. This is in our apostles' theology in seven verses. Praise be to God that we are no longer dead in our filth and corruptions. What has been signified in your baptism has been given to all you who believe through Jesus Christ and by his spirit. Let us pray. <coughs> oh, gracious God and Father, we pray that you would continue to subdue our ears and our heart to the words of our apostles, for they are sent by Christ. Father, we pray that we would be subdued through understanding. Come and help us. We don't want to vainly accept everything the preacher has said without having thought about it, without conviction, without making any use of prayer, without drawing near to you and, and holding fast to your word. But nor, Lord, do we want to discard what has been spoken from your pulpits, from your scriptures. Oh, Father God, we pray that you would reform us Reform us and grant us even more agreement with Paul, with Peter. And Father, we do thank you for the washing of regeneration. We thank you that you call baptism by this title to remind us what it testifies to, that we are born dead in trespasses, that we are born with a corruption that puts us under condemnation, and that we must be cleaned. And Lord, we thank you that the water which is visible testifies to the work which is invisible of your Holy Spirit, bringing what is Christ to us. Oh, Father, we thank you for giving us everything signified to us in our baptism. A new heart, a new spirit, a new will. We pray that we would rise up and be devoted to good works and that we would be unashamed of the cost, that we would be unashamed of the sufferings, that we would be unashamed of how maybe our life becomes even weaker as we become more fruitful in obedience. That we pray, O oh Lord, that we would even let goods and kindred go to live the life of those who've been washed and renewed by your Holy Spirit. To the praise, to the honor, and the glory of he who paid for this gift to us by blood, Jesus the Christ. Amen. <clears throat>